I want you to turn to Genesis 43 tonight. Genesis 43. Let's begin reading with verse, uh, verse 11, if you will. And their father, the father here is Israel, but Israel is also Jacob, the same people. His name was changed by God. And their father Israel said unto them, it must be so now, do this. Take of the best fruits in the land in your vessels and carry down the man a present, a little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, nuts and almonds, and take double money in your hand and the money that was brought again in the mouth of your sacks, carry it again in your hand. Peradventure, it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise, go again unto the man. And God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may send away your other brother and Benjamin. If I bereaved of my, be bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. This is an event that takes place in the Old Testament in the life of Joseph. And you remember some years ago, I preached a series of sermons here in the church on a hundred different characteristics in the life of Joseph that was similar or compared to the life of Christ. And if anything we learn from the life of Joseph, we learn about forgiveness. Joseph had been sold by his brothers into slavery. And when he was taken into slavery, he eventually winds up down in Egypt. And in Egypt, he became a stirred in the house of Pharaoh. And in that process of being a stirred and caring for his house, uh, Pharaoh's wife, uh, accused him of something he wasn't guilty of because he rejected her advances physically. And when he did that, she got upset. The end result was Joseph wound up in prison. While in the jail, he met the butler and he met the baker. And they had dreams and he interpreted their dreams. When he interpreted the dreams of the butler, he said, you're gonna be restored to your job. And the baker, he said, you're gonna be killed and the dreams came to pass. And the only thing that he asked was that the butler wouldn't forget him when he got before the king, Pharaoh. And when he got before the king, he forgot about Jacob for two years until Pharaoh has a dream and he wants it to be interpreted. So when he calls on him to interpret that dream, he's able to interpret him, and then he advances him to the place whether he's the second man in the kingdom, if you will, overseeing everything of the kingdom and all of the possessions of Pharaoh, and now famine has come. So people are coming from different places because they hear that Egypt has food. During this time, Jacob or Israel, which is the same person, he hears that there's food down in Egypt. So he sends his sons down into Egypt. When they get there, Joseph recognizes them, but they do not recognize their brother, the same brother that they have sold into captivity. So now Joseph is, uh, is standing before them. His father, Jacob, he doesn't know if he's alive or if he's dead. 20 years have passed and they're standing before him. And they declare that they're all brothers from the same, from the same father and that they, uh, that they have a brother that's not with them, Benjamin. And finally, just to bring everything into a summary quickly, J Joseph says to them, this is what I want you to do. He takes Simeon and he binds him and he holds him. And he said, I'm keeping this brother. 
I want you to go back to your father and I want you to bring Benjamin back to me. Well, when they come back and tell their father what had happened, they realized on the journey when they opened up the, the goods that he had given them, there was money in each one of the sacks of goods and corn that he had given to them. And when they have this money, they tell their dad everything. And they said, the man wants us to bring Benjamin with us. And he says that he'll release Simeon if we bring Benjamin. But of course, Israel, Jacob was reluctant. So he didn't want to send his son, but as time went on, they ran out of the corn. They were hungry again and they needed food. So they only had one option. You know, sometimes what seems so hard is really a blessing from God when God gets us to a place that we can't make any other decision except the God decision, the right thing to do. And he had no other decision. He had to do what was required or else they would starve. But yet when he decided to send them, he said, I'm going to send your brother. And he said, I don't know what will happen, but it may be that, that We'll never see Simeon again. I'm already bereaved because I've lost one son, Joseph, whom he thought was dead, but really had been sold into slavery. And now he has another son in, in Egypt that's bound. And now he has a third son that he may lose him. But he said, if you're gonna go, I think you need to take the king a gift. Don't go to him without a gift. I mean, really, that's what he's saying. He said, if really it be so now to do this, he said, take the best of the fruits of the land, your vessels, and carry the man down the man a present. He said, maybe if we give the king something that he wants, he'll have mercy. But here's the problem. They're in a famine, number one. It's hard times. They have limited supplies. If they had everything, they wouldn't need to go to the king. But they don't have everything. The thing they need the most, they have to go to the king for it. So he assesses what he has. And the question is in his mind, what does a poor person that has nothing to really offer of value what do you give a king? What does a king really want? See, all of this is an Old Testament picture of you and I sitting in Rubyville Church tonight because the question we have is we're saying, Lord, we've all been guilty of sin. We're poor and we're miserable. And Lord, you're the king of kings and the Lord of lords. What in this world do I have that I could offer you that you want? What could cause you to have greater mercy on me? Because you don't need silver and gold. You don't need authority and power. That you've got it all, Lord. What do I have? What can I offer a king that a king would want? And he answers that for us in these few verses that I looked at. First of all, he tells us what a king really desires and it's the same thing that King Jesus desires from you and I. The first thing is a king wants a simple gift. Just a simple gift. What did he give him? Well, it says in verse 11, they carried down a little bomb, 
honey, spices, myrrhs, myrrh, nuts, and almonds. He gave what he had, but he gave the best that he had. See, sometimes I think we get our priorities turned around and we think that if we give God certain things that, that, that we're just trying to pacify the least amount of duties that we can give to God. But really what God wants is just the simple things in our life. The simple things is what has the most value. You'll reach a stage in your life as you get older, you want less and less of the things of this world. And the things that mean more to you are the simple things in life. It's a handmade card from your grandkids. It's a hug from a friend in the time of need. It's someone saying, I'm praying for you and you know that they're praying for you. When Mary came and broke the alabaster box and poured that on the head of Jesus, it was a simple thing, but it was the best that she had to offer. And I believe when he sent all of these items, it was the best of the land. He was just saying, I know that it's simple, but yet I think he would be pleased with something simple that I'm offering to him. And can I tell you, Jesus just wants the simple things. He doesn't want everyone to be a preacher. He doesn't want everyone to be a singer. He doesn't want everyone to be a teacher. But I don't care, categorize any position you want in the church. Every one of us have simple things that touch the heart of our king. Just simple things, not difficult things. When you come down, and you realize that you're giving simple things to the Lord, God will take that and multiply it and bless it. Well, what kind of simple things are you talking about, preacher? Well, yesterday at Outreach, 52 volunteers were there at Outreach. In less than three hours, they saved the ministry thousands of dollars. Now that was a simple thing to those of you that were there but the king liked it. The king saw it and he appreciated what you did. The king always just wants simple things in our life. There's the simple things where that you volunteer at outreach, the simple things where uh, white gravel mines now up four or five different events, three major productions a year that they have and people volunteer their time to do that. To you, that's just a simple thing. But when I watched them over the past three weeks bring literally stacks of paper, of prayer requests, of people, those people that need prayer, God took your simple effort and used it as a means to have people praying for those needs. And now hundreds of people have been saved because people are willing to say, nobody will see me string wire and change light bulbs and do certain jobs and park cars, but God sees it all. It's the simple things. When you give your time to things like Miley's mission at Christmas time, that's just a simple thing. But God says to the ones that receive from that, you made the king happy when you do things like that. It's the simple thing. Just like everybody here tonight, every single person here tonight can pray. One of the simplest things we can do 
but I'm here to attest to the fact I believe that that's what is the most needed in churches and in our land today. We need people that'll bombard heaven and pray as they've never prayed before because time is running out and we need to say, Lord, I can't offer much, but I can talk to you about the needs of others and the needs of their soul. It's simple, but God will bless it. The simple things. Tonight when you leave, on the back, there's a list back there. A week from tomorrow, our church is the dedicated church to pray for 24 hours. There's spaces that all you have to do, you don't even have to sign it, just put your initial on it. Everyone can pray. That seems like a simple thing. But do you realize that if everyone, every church that's committed to pray for the spring jubilee, if they all fill their time slots, jubilee will have 432 hours of continuous prayer for souls to be saved. Just a simple thing. But if your son or daughter, mom or dad, was the one getting saved in Jubilee, and you do realize time's running out, don't you? How can you not watch the news and realize how quickly that it's coming? Today, front leading headlines of news all across the country. The White House and the administration declared today in the news that now they believe Iran is less than a week away from having nuclear weapons. Boy, it got quiet then. Time to pray. Time's running out for sinners and we need to bombard heaven and pray as we've never prayed before that folks will get under conviction and souls will be saved. The simple things. We're firing back up a lot of things in the church. We'll be going back to funeral dinners. I hope you didn't forget how to cook during the pandemic. Newcomers, we need your help. That's a simple thing, but to a family that's grieving, it's a great help. It's a simple thing to send a card or to make a call. It's a simple thing to try to remember those that are shut in that can't get out to church and there's no way that I have the ability to contact everyone all the time. I'll do the best I can and it's a simple thing but I promise you I've never ever contacted somebody that's unable to get out to church but what on the other end of it, I always receive more than I intended to give because the king just loves it when we do simple things. Can you take a little bit more? A week from Saturday, we'll have setup day for Jubilee. We haven't had it for two years. And the devil told me, nobody gonna show up. I mean, that's how the devil works. You do realize that, don't you? Some of you are backward, you're shy. But you could be there that day to help do a job that seems like a simple thing, but what if you're the one that puts the board down where somebody prays and gets saved? What if you're the one that sets a chair out and cleans it off that somebody will sit in and hear the gospel and come to Christ? What if you're the one that helps on the platform 
where folks will stand and sing and people will join by the hundreds in the choir and as they lift their voice, somebody that's been in a church that's discouraged and feeling as though they're not going to make it when heaven comes down and blesses their soul and God gives them fresh wind and fresh fire, just a simple gift, but that's all the king wants. Simple thing. You say, well, I can't work. Glad you said that. You can cook. At 11 o'clock, we're gonna feed the ones that's there. Oh, I'm busy. I'm busy. I don't have time for that. You're not doing it for me. And you're not doing it for Brian. And you're not doing it for this church. It's your gift to the king. He not only wants simple gifts, that's what a king desires, but look in verse 12. He wants sacrificial gifts. Now remember, they're in a famine. They find this money, and he said the first thing you do is you've got a gift of money, double that gift. And second of all, take the money back that you found that was in the goods, take it back because maybe it was an accident that it got there. Boy, that's a far cry from today. Finders, keepers, losers, weepers. I found it, it's mine. Well, you'll find out that when we offer anything sacrificially to the king, he not only wants simple gifts, he wants sacrificial gifts. He wants us to be stretched beyond what we're able to do sometimes. Oswald Chambers one time said, when you give and you say, oh no, there you go getting all money. Well, you gotta talk about it every now and then because it's the greatest portion of scripture in the Bible is stewardship. And when you give, the question is not, how much of my money do I give God? The question is, how much of God's money do I keep? That's a good question. C.H. Spurgeon one time was contacted by an individual. He was a wealthy man, wrote him a letter, and he said, there's a poor country church in our area, and I feel like if you would come, you could raise the funds to help this church that's in need. And he said, if you come, I'll be glad to provide your accommodations. He said, I have a country home. I have a townhouse. I have a seaside home. Just pick which home you want to stay in. And said, if you'll come, we could meet that need. C.H. Spurgeon wrote him back a letter. And he said, I'm not coming. Sell one of your homes and take care of it yourself. Because nobody needs three homes to live in. Getting quiet, isn't it? Do you see what he's saying? Wants somebody else to do it. Somebody else to do it. But you'll find out when you give sacrificially, God will always bless it. God looks at the intent of your heart. Now, the thing about that is, is sometimes people accuse you of being wealthy because they judge you by the way that you give. But really, what I've found out Real wealth is not in your wallet or your bank account. Real wealth is stored up in heaven. And the greatest givers sometimes have the least, but they're giving sacrificially out of what they have. 
And as they give sacrificially, God sees the intent, God sees the motive, and God blesses for that. I read a story a few days ago on Billy and Ruth Graham, and in the early, early days of their ministry, when before the crusades, he was still preaching in churches in meetings. He'd gone to a church, and they took the offering. He was sitting on the platform. He was the preacher in the service. And the usher came up and put the plate right under his nose. He's the guest preacher. And the usher just stands there. And Billy reaches into his billfold. And these were in the early days where a little bit of money had a lot of value. And he reached in and he thought, I'll get a dollar out of my wallet and put in the offering because this guy's not gonna be satisfied if I don't. He was already there to preach for no honorarium. And he gets in his wallet and he's not paying attention and he's somewhat nervous and he has a $1 bill and a $10 bill and he accidentally grabbed the $10 bill and by the time he threw it in the offering plate, he saw it was the $10 bill and the guy was gone with the plate and he panicked because he didn't know how they would make it the rest of the week. After the service, he gets Ruth alone and he said, honey, I did a terrible thing tonight. I made a terrible mistake. The usher came up, she said, I saw the usher come up and said he just kept the offering plate right there and I knew I had to give something and I felt awkward and I got rushed and he said, I had the $10 bill and the $1 bill and I dropped the $10 bill in the plate. And she said, what are you so anxious about? She said, God's only gonna credit you for the one that you intended to give. Wisdom. It's not the amount, it's the motive. It's the intent. When children come and give, Maybe, maybe I'm different than all of you and I'm sorry if you get grouchy about it, but get grouchy and just get mad and stew over it all you want, but I'm telling you, nothing blesses my heart any more than watch these little ones, little ones stand there waiting on somebody to hold them up with their dollar bill to drop it in the offering plate to be a blessing to somebody. Praise God for our kids and their giving. Kids, don't you ever let anyone tell you you shouldn't do that or you should be embarrassed by that. You know what you did? You made King Jesus smile when you did that and he keeps record of that and that will follow you all the days of your life. Sacrificial giving. So he wants a gift that's simple. He wants a gift that's sacrificial, but I'll close with this. He wants a gift that's submissive. The ruler, the king, he gave certain demands and those demands had to be met. He demanded that they bring Benjamin, their brother, bring Benjamin with you. If you don't bring Benjamin, there's no need to come. I want you to bring Benjamin. He gave these demands. When are we going to learn that the Bible is not a book of suggestions. The Bible is a book of commandments 
and ordinance. And there's some things that yes, we can have our opinion on and have ideas about, but there's some things that God demands. God demands for you to go to heaven. God demands that you repent of your sins and confess your sins to the Lord Jesus Christ. God demands that you praise him. God demands that you worship him. God demands that you walk right for him. God demands that you love him with all your heart, soul, and mind. God demands that you're submissive to him. And there comes a place in our life where we have to say, I submit to you. It's not what I want to do, but it's what you want me to do. I was raised in a preacher's home. My oldest brother and oldest sister, they knew mom and dad before they were saved. All the rest of us children out of the seven children, we only saw mom and dad as a Christian. So we didn't know the other side. But through that time, I watched my dad. I watched him go into struggling churches and God would use him and bless him and bless the churches and they would grow and flourish. And I watched people come and be saved and I watched God's hand on his life. And I wished I would have watched that more. But instead, as a boy, I watched the ugly people in church. Mean people. Mean to others. You know, some of you ought not have a job. When you get a job, you change personalities. You usurped authority. You just get mean and nasty. Now, I preach hard to you, and sometimes you think I'm mad, but I'll be the first one that's there when you're in trouble, and I'll love you. Anything I say is to try to help you, but you know, if, if I just scold you constantly, sooner or later, you're going to go somewhere else, or you're going to avoid me. So I watched the mean and the ugly people. I dealt with a preacher today that a group of people for no reason at all are rallying, trying to throw him out of the church. And he said, preacher, just pray God lets me go. And I said, I can't pray that. I'm not God. I don't know what he wants for you. But sometimes you feel that way. Kind of like Marcel Ledbetter. Somebody shoot up here amongst us. One of us needs relief. <laughs> and that's the way you feel. And I watch that. And some of you, that's your problem for not serving the Lord. You look at those people. So what I made my mind up, I'll do anything, Lord, you want me to do, but I will not preach. I will not preach because sure as the world, I couldn't do it because the first one of them that comes, I'm not my dad. I'll bust them in the face. <laughs> I had a temper and I thought, I'll, I mean, I'll clean their clock. 
And if they're bigger than me, I'll wait until it's dark and I'll jump them from behind and clean their clock. I can't take that kind of stuff, Lord. <laughs> but see, God knew there was another side to me. I couldn't see it. And you know, some of you, you need to get your temper under control too. Don't sit there like you're spreading angel wings right now. I've seen how you act. It's there, sometimes it comes out, you know. And, and I said, I'll do anything but that. The only problem is, I'm not the king. And finally, God got me to a place and said, when you're finished making your plans and you're finished telling me what to do, you will preach. Well, I have to be quite honest and say, there's a lot, if not most preachers that are better preachers than what I am. But I'll also make this statement. Nobody loves doing it any more than I love doing it. You know why? God broke me. I became submissive. I started doing what I didn't want to do. And when I started doing what I didn't want to do, then God took all of that anger and turned it around into love and mercy. See, everybody don't like preachers that preach. So I went from wanting to deal with ugly people to people threatening to kill me and People have swung at me. One church I was in, the guy got so mad, I didn't see him. My back was to him. He reared back and swung at me and I stepped aside and they had a pole. You know those poles? And, and he busted that metal pole and broke his fist. <laughs> He's one of my best friends today. He got right with God. It's funny how everything changes. People get angry, but I can understand that now. I was like that. Do any of you remember when you were somebody else? What changed that? You gave the gift, your heart, your life, and you said, Lord, whatever you want, I'll be it, I'll do it, I'll go where you send me, I'll be what you want me to be. And I tell you, I like myself a lot better like this. I like doing what I'm doing. And by the way, you can love serving the Lord too. But you have to submit. Submit. 